Today, on the Main Quest Podcast, it's Contra. Welcome back to another episode of the Main Quest Podcast. This is, of course, the number one retro gaming podcast that will get to the chopper. <laughs> oh, it's so bad. <laughs> oh, Ryan is going to be so disappointed in me. Ryan from Listoff does an incredible Schwarzenegger impression. I didn't even come close. Anyway... As always, I am your host, Keith. What is this podcast? What are video games? Who's paying DMX's taxes right now? I think I can answer at least one of those. This podcast is my quest through all of the games I have owned or were laying around the house growing up and trying to determine if I was a dumb child for liking them or if they actually still hold up today. Uh, not entirely a fresh concept for a podcast, but it is a little personal, and video games are overall disappointing. Speaking of which, it's been a long time since I've caught up with you guys with what I've been playing outside of the show. I, I don't want to take up too much time on talking about other stuff because um, this episode might end up running a little long. I guess we'll see in the, in the end. You guys will already know how long this episode is. Well, anyway, <laughs> I might have, I'm all over the place. Um, I might have mentioned this in another episode, but I beat Death's Door quite some time ago. I really enjoyed it through and through. And in case I have talked about it before, I'm going to move on to the next game that I played after that, which was The Ascent. And I think that's also a game that I've brought up on the show as well. It's a cyberpunkish dystopian twin stick shooter action game. Great game, kind of. I jumped off of it pretty hard because it's incredibly broken. Not broken like another specific cyberpunk game that's out there where it's, you know, so fucking broken that it's literally unplayable but broken enough to where it's mildly irritating and just just really annoying. For instance, um, quests will suddenly disappear from your waypoint while you're in the middle of doing them with like no way of getting it back. In one instance, um, I pretty much knew exactly where I had to go and what I had to do, and I still carried on despite the markers not showing up. And, of course, when I, when I did what I needed to do and then got to the destination, there was no way to actually complete the quest because none of the assets would load. Character customization and armor doesn't work. There are, I think, like three or four different types of armor on your character at any given time. And my game has decided that, yes, my stats indicate that I do have armor equipped, but my... My character is completely naked. So no matter 
whether I unequip, reequip, or replace the armor, the armor just never shows up on my character. Some armor that I do pick up throughout the game, that armor drops and stuff like that, open up chests, some of that stuff I can pick up, but it never shows up in my inventory. And there's certain parts where the music just completely clips in and out of some areas. It's annoying. I So I took a break from the game for like about a week. And then one night I was like, you know, I'm going to give this another shot. Booted it up, started a brand new mission, was working on it. And like, I don't know, 15 minutes in, I was just like, I'm not feeling this game anymore. I think I'm done. I don't even think I finished that mission. I just turned it off. It's very disappointing that I, the game does have a lot of potential. And uh, I really hope Neon Giant puts a little more work into this thing because um, it is a good game. Just the bugs completely took me out of it. And then I think after that, I played 12 minutes. It's the next game. I feel like I'm missing something between the ascent and 12 minutes since 12 minutes came out pretty recently. How do I talk about 12 minutes without spoiling it? 12 minutes was made by this guy, Luis Antonio, and published by Annapurna, and takes place in like this small flat consisting of just a living room, dining room combination, um, a bathroom, and a bedroom. And you play as this guy, like this couple, they're living in this apartment, and you have about 10 minutes to figure out the circumstances behind this home invasion uh, that they're about to fall victim to. And you got to figure out exactly how to avoid this conf confrontation or wrap it up before the clock hits 12 minutes and then the entire event resets itself and you do it all over again. It's, it's essentially Groundhog's Day, except your characters are always getting murdered or you're or you're the one murdering people or killing yourself. Um, it's uh, essentially, gameplay-wise, it's just a point-and-click type of adventure game. Similar, I guess if you've listened to my episode on Shadowgate, it's very much that. And so if that's something you're not into, this isn't going to be for you. It's a gameplay style that I have learned to appreciate, but story-wise, this game is pretty disappointing. It, and even down to the voice acting, voice acting is incredibly disappointing for one reason. And the big draw for this game, the thing that's being advertised for it the most, is that James McAvoy, Daisy Ridley, and William Defoe do the voices of the three characters in this game. You know how much I sacrificed? But the voice acting isn't good. Like, voice acting and regular acting are two different talents. And voice actors, these three, are not. <laughs> William Defoe is literally just... Like, he walked off the street and was just like, alright, let's get this over with, I'm just gonna be William Defoe. <laughs> and that's great, fine. I actually wouldn't expect anything more from him. But McAvoy and Ridley are doing these white cracker American-ass accents that don't really distinguish them at all which I think makes some of the their line of deliveries even worse. It really makes me wonder why Annapurna would even spend the money on them when I think 
any decently talented voice actor could have done just fine. And it's one of those situations where I wouldn't have really paid attention to the voice acting unless it was incredibly bad. Had I not known that they've got like these fucking triple A widely renowned actors to do the voices. So I definitely think the voice acting hurts the game. But other than that, I mean, yeah, I can't can't talk about the game without spoiling it. I'm glad it's on Game Pass because I would not recommend dropping money on this thing when it comes on uh comes out on other platformers, platformers, platforms. Fuck. I um I wouldn't even recommend playing this game on Game Pass. Like you can you can see the story where the story is going and where it's going to go and then it goes there. And then they try to throw something in to throw you off a bit, but like it's not saying anything profound like I don't know, man. I finished the game and I was just like, this is just a huge wet fart. 12 minutes is a shart. <laughs> and finally, the last game I want to talk about very quickly is Boyfriend Dungeon. Just um, basically just finished my first playthrough not too long ago. And I want to play it again to kind of see what the different outcomes are. And, you know, just it's essentially it is a dating sim. But there's some dungeon crawling elements mixed in there as well. Um, I will say, though, that the dungeon crawling parts, they're not the game's best strengths. They're pretty short. As far as I know, uh, there are only two. It's a relatively short game, but again, there's plenty of room for replayability. The characters are really well written. And the fact that you're dating people who turn into weapons like there's you can even you can even date a cat that turns into like brass knuckles if you want it's it's weird it's really weird it's really charming though and i'm not the biggest fan of dating sims either they're just they just seem to most of them just really seem to play to the male fantasy anime waifu horseshit all that stuff i just i have no desire to fuck around with those I already know what it's like to be straight and dating. It's miserable. I want to date this dude that turns into a lightsaber, but also like behind his back. I also want to date the cat that sends me cat selfies and the brass knuckles. If you get into this, the brass knuckles are pretty OP. So that's um pretty much it. That's pretty much what I've been playing on the side here. Funny because there's no mention of RE6. <laughs> You're avoiding me. What? No, I'm not avoiding you. But I'm going to be talking a little bit about RE6 on the upcoming RE5 episode. So, with that, you saw the title of the episode. Today, I played Contra. I could tell you I had memories of playing this game as a kid, but I don't. Aside from the fact that 
we had it in the house. I don't think I ever touched Contra before playing it for this episode. The only Contra game I viv- vividly uh, remember playing is Contra 3 for the Super Nintendo. Contra is a game, this is one of those games that I only really know about through other people and hearing about how difficult it is and how it basically popularized the Konami code. And when I stopped to think about it, I probably heard about the Konami code first before I even knew about this game. And then, you know, found out that this was the game people talk about when they mention that cheat code specifically. And so, you know, as we're going to talk about, the two are pretty synonymous with each other. So no matter what, I feel like Contra would kind of cross my radar whether I played it or not. So let's just jump straight into the development of this game. Contra is a side-scrolling shooter, and if I may add, has some platforming elements developed and published by Konami. The NES version is actually a port of an arcade game of the same name, but was designed by Shigeharu Uozaki and Shinji Kitamoto, and the soundtrack was composed by Hidenari Maezawa. Now, you might be thinking, damn, Keith's playing an arcade port. Here we go with the the not recommend. <laughs> it's all downhill from here, right? But uh, Konami didn't actually attempt to make a pixel-to-pixel conversion of the game they already had in arcades, but instead built something different from the ground up, but still retained a lot of the elements that made up the arcade game. We saw Capcom do the same thing uh, when I talked about Bionic Commando, and when I talked about games like uh, Burger Time or Rampage, you know, what makes those NES conversions such terrible games is that those developers attempted to literally try and bring the arcade version to the NES, which obviously didn't have the power to actually properly properly uh, emulate those types of experiences. Now, I never even knew Contra was originally an arcade game, and I haven't played it, so I can't really go into the differences in gameplay. I have watched like a Let's Play of the arcade version, and graphically it looks gorgeous, which is to be expected. The soundtrack also sounds pretty good. But, um, yeah, obviously I can't really compare the two and how they both feel to play uh, or speak to the difficulty between the two. But I'm kind of surprised I didn't know its arcade origins because nobody ever talks about it. Whenever you hear Contra pop up, people are usually talking about the NES version. So let's talk about it. It's clearly inspired from action movies of its time. You take one look at the box art and it's two of the biggest action heroes of the 80s and 90s Schwarzenegger and Stallone I mean this game basically posits what if Rambo was in Predator instead of you know I don't know Jesse Ventura <laughs> what if what if Rambo and Dutch were dropped into aliens go on, man, man. I want to go home Johnny I want to drive my Chevy I don't know why I can't find your fucking legs yeah no matter how you cut it Contra doesn't try to be anything but Commando, Alien, Predator, and like Rambo shoved into like one cartridge. It's just literally these two shirtless beefcakes shooting up Geiger-esque monstrosities. The one notable change is the game's localization, which is 
actually kind of surprising as we learned with the Castlevania games. I just love a cross-reference to episodes that I've already done. The Castlevania games went by a different name. This was also the case with a few other Konami games. But Contra, Contra was Contra in Japan, as well as in the US. In Japan, essentially the kanji that make up the name of the game are actually nonsense. They don't mean anything. And when pronounced correctly, which I'm not even a attempt here, <laughs> they make up the word Contra. It's very similar. Now, what makes this unique is the timing of the game's release, which was during the Iran-Contra affair, when bad actor turned shit-stained politician Ronald Reagan sold military weapons to Iranian insurgents. And fuck it, while I'm at it, fuck Bush Sr. too. And Nancy Reagan. Nancy Reagan was the fucking devil. Anyway, the name would end up basically getting nixed in the sequel Super Contra, which ended up being called Super C here in the States, which we'll talk about on the next episode. So now, you Aussies, Spaniards, or Brits are probably like, You're taking the piss, you milk. This cold game sound a lot like Probotector. <laughs> and you'd be right whatever the fuck I just said you'd be absolutely right they're one and the same <laughs> the name change and overall design of Bill and Lance were changed due to a law in Germany that prohibited the sale of violent video games and it wasn't until Contra Legacy of War for the PlayStation that PAL Territories experienced an unaltered Contra game, for better or worse. Lastly, I need to mention that Konami once again utilized the VRC6 chip in the Famicom version of Contra, which is the very same chip that was used in Castlevania 3 that allowed Miyazawa to access uh, to more sound ports for that soundtrack. So just like the Dracula's Curse episode, I'll probably be favoring the Famicom soundtrack on this episode over the NES version. Contra was released for the Famicom and NES in Japan and the US respectively in February 1988. Probo Probotector <laughs> wouldn't get a release in PAL regions for nearly three years. December of 1990. Since then, Contra has been ported to the ZX Spectrum, Commodore 64, Amstrad CPC, MSX2, PlayStation 2, Xbox 360 Arcade, Nintendo DS, Xbox One, PlayStation 4, and the Nintendo Switch. For some context, Contra has an 8.6 out of 10 on Nintendo Life and 81 on Metacritic, and a 4.6 out of 5 from the folks at Giant Bomb.
So I already kind of talked about what the game is essentially about story-wise and the history of the game. There's really no text crawl here or any type of dialogue to speak of in the game itself. You just you grab your gun, your your fucking baby oil, and leave leave your shirt at home because we're just gonna kill aliens. It's as simple as that. But of course, the manual has plenty of story to read. It's actually pretty long, quite girthy, which I don't know. Would you expect anything less than girth in a game this fucking masculine? The the caption. The caption right above the story in the manual in big bold letters, it reads, Only the strong survive. Quote, In 1957, a large object from outer space crashed into Earth's Amazon basin near ruins of the lost Mayan civilization. Scientists worldwide heralded this incident as a trivial cosmic occurrence, and thus the collision was soon forgotten. Now, 30 years later, Rumors of an evil force have swept into the Pentagon front office, and tales from the frightened villagers of a hideous being with an army of alien henchmen are sending chills down the spines of top military brass. This is all lies. This is, these are just lies. The military knew about this. They weren't hiding anything. The US military I know would have taken full command and set up camp in the fucking Amazon base and nobody would be able to touch it. We would go to war in the Amazon for no fucking reason just to be there and not tell anybody what the fuck we're doing there. Anyway, unwilling to upset current political stability, an all-out assault on the region has been overruled and instead, two of Americans' most cunning, just two, just two guys, <laughs> courageous and ruthless soldiers from the Special Forces Elite Commando Squad, have been selected to seek out and destroy the alien intruders. Could you imagine just fucking two guys <laughs> it's just whatever man congratulations congratulations pal you're one of the chosen but before you take pride in being the best be warned you're about to come face to face against red falcon the cruelest life life form in the galaxy two guys are supposed to do this he arrived on earth 30 years ago in parentheses it says that's six months' time in an alien's life. Uh, to establish a foothold from which he will attempt to conquer our world and then use it as a stepping stone toward his ultimate fiendish goal, domination of the entire universe. We're gonna kill a baby alien. Or is like six months... How old is this alien? I guess it could be a lot older. Needless to say, playing hero won't be easy, but you have no choice. You must be a hero. Because if you fail, life as we know it will cease to exist, and the vile Red Falcon will rule forever. If you succeed, well, big milky titties for everybody. <laughs> it doesn't actually say that. It should, though. Perfect ending to a perfect story. Honestly, you wouldn't even know this game deals with an extraterrestrial threat just by looking at it. It just kind of looks like a very generic action game. Maybe generic's harsh. I don't think that's what I want to say. Unassuming? This game looks unassuming. Because for the most part, as far as the gameplay goes, you're just moving left to right. There's some platforming and you shoot. The most notable part of this is that 
you're able to shoot at a 45 degree angle in seven different directions. It's cute, right? Like we saw this in Bionic Commando already, right? But when Contra came out, this wasn't really a well-established control scheme on home consoles. And um, what was his name? Rad? Rad, I just fucked your mother, Spencer. He could only shoot the grappling hook at a 45-degree angle, not his gun. And on top of that, these prison swole muscle queens can shoot while uh, they're in a mid-air jump in any direction. Tactical as fuck. Maybe two swole bros is all we need to save the world, right? Contra solidified the control scheme for all the games of its kind to follow. So it's not really until you start playing Contra and feel how tight and responsive the controls are that it really sinks in that th this is something kind of special. Because for the most part, you are just fighting other dudes. Like, like they look like they have backpacks and uh, you're fighting like turrets and stuff like that. Even the bosses are just kind of like different machines for the most part. It isn't until the final level when you enter Red Falcon's lair that you're like, oh, the fuck? Oh, well, also, uh, I need needed to be known that the Red Falcon, that name is no longer canon. According to the Contra wiki, because of course there's a Contra wiki, the alien that used to go by Red Falcon is now called Emperor Demon Dragon God Java. Now that's that's a Starbucks order right there. Contra is comprised of eight levels, which is three more than the arcade version and breaking up the action of that but also kind of adding to the momentum are the two base levels that change the game from a side-scrolling shooter to an over-the-shoulder almost 3d perspective third-person shooter the action in these areas are still pretty intense as various enemies run across the screen basically just um you know, bombarding you with grenades, uh, gunfire, and then there's other obstacles along the way to, to avoid. The control scheme for these areas are mostly the same, but honestly, going into the first one, like I was, I had a little, it was a little fucked up for me due to the change of perspective. Uh, there's like a, basically a gate that's blocking you from progressing through the stage until you've cleared the allotted amount of enemies or basically shoot the locks off these doors before you can progress and i just don't i don't know how many times i accidentally ran into that electrical barrier by accident i don't think it damages you this is a one hit ko situation so i don't i don't think it really does anything except for leave you open to uh possibly getting hit by another projectile overall i mean i i really like these stages my only nitpick is that these base stages are kind of situated pretty close together like the first stage is the second level 
And I think the next one is the fourth level. So I would have liked to have the second one maybe be a little bit later in the game, maybe like the sixth or seventh stage, because the linear levels, they're fine, they're fun, they're challenging in their own way, but it's just kind of more of the same until you get to that seventh stage and you're essentially right off the bat, it's the, the entire stage is just the boss fight with Red Falcon. Even though uh, Konami does throw in some stages here and there where you actually go through the level, um, they're actually vertical stages, the vertical progression rather than the horizontal left to right. But this being a shooter, of course, there are power-ups. And similar to Ghosts and Goblins or Air Zonk, uh, only one of the power-ups actually matters. So you got the machine gun, machine gun falcon, I'm sorry. All these are affixed with the word falcon at some point. The machine gun falcon pickup is um, it's just like the standard weapon you start with. It's just really slow, despite it being called a machine gun. But faster yet is the red fire falcon which is actually a little closer to what you would think is a stereotypical machine gun. Uh, this was typically my go-to if I couldn't get my hands on the spread gun falcon, which is your typical spread shot weapon. This, the spread gun, like this thing covers a lot of ground and has a pretty decent rate of fire. So, I mean, if you manage to get up close and personal to the bosses, and you have the spread gun, I mean, you're just going to melt their fucking faces off. Like, you can end, up, end the fight pretty quickly. The most useless weapon, in my opinion, are the, uh, well, there's two, the, the laser and the fireball falcon. I think I used the laser for maybe like five seconds, and then I just let myself die on purpose <laughs> so I could just restart without it. The fireball falcon... I actually gave a pretty decent chance, but it's just, it's too slow. You essentially shoot like a ring of small fireballs, but the shots are like staggered a little bit. It doesn't have good response time, and it doesn't travel very far either. And then you got the force field pickup. That thing doesn't drop very often, but it does exactly what you think it does. It makes you invulnerable to enemies for like a few seconds. And finally, the final pickup is the Mass Destruction Falcon, which clears the entire screen of enemies. So up to this point, I really haven't talked about how difficult this game is. I might have mentioned it earlier, but Contra has a reputation of being one of the hardest NES games, and it is. It's definitely not the hardest game I've played for this show. I think a proper description is that it's more tedious than difficult because you only start with three continues. And Contra is very much one of those games where if you get killed, it's because you're not paying attention. For the most part, it's on you. Now, there's some aspects graphically where I could say it's a little unfair and it gets better in the next game. But I think the most negative I will get on this game is probably the projectiles. Because the bullets that enemies shoot at you are, they're like clear. They're almost clear and they're very tiny. So it's very hard to see. Like I said, you really have to pay attention. I, 
I just don't think Contra is that unfair. And I found that as I played it, the difficulty actually has some peaks and valleys. And the more you restart, the better you'll probably find yourself end up being. So kind of think of it like a kind of think of it like a roguelike without the, you know, actual skill upgrades. But of course, like I got, I don't know, three levels in, four levels in. And I mean, I was dying. I had to start over quite a bit. But, um, you know, I got a deadline to meet as far as recording goes, getting this thing out. Three lives. It's not going to cut it. I admit, I, I don't think I would have been able to beat this game with only three lives. Which is going to lead me into... Cheats! So sorry! You sick, you fucking slut! Who is this dirty whore? I didn't see no, gonna win. I don't know why I just did that. It's better than the other one that I did. This is actually going to be a special, very special segment of cheats. Unlike all the other cheats segments that I've had, uh, this one has some history behind it. And I think I've kind of alluded to it on other episodes where I talked about Konami games, but this time it's more formal. It's, it's personal. Considering Contra is the game that put up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, B-A, on the map. That's, that's the cheat, ladies and gentlemen. On the title screen, press up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, B-A, and you start the game with 30 lives. The Contra Code, a.k.a. the 30 lives cheat, a.k.a. this will add 6 inches to your cock cheat, a.k.a. the Konami Code. Now, Contra isn't the first game to implement this cheat. It was actually another NES Konami game called Gradius. You might have heard of it, which was so difficult for one of the testers that Konami had to make a backdoor for him so that he could actually test the other levels. So this ended up getting implemented in other games as well, but developer used codes, which essentially it's what all cheats were back in the day, you know, like before they became monetized and stopped being somewhat used by developers. These things were typically taken out of the game when it was ready to ship. But Konami, for whatever reason, left this in. It wasn't until Nintendo in that famous first Nintendo Power issue, Super Mario Bros. 2, uh, it wasn't until they published an article on the cheat for Contra that the code became widely known. And since then, you can pretty much put that cheat in just about every Konami game. Not every single one. I'd say probably like 90, 95% of them, you can put that code in and something's going to happen. But Konami aren't the only developers that have put that specific code into their games. The Konami code has transcended. Other developers outside of Konami have since put it in their games to kind of pay homage. 2K put it in Bioshock Infinite. Behavior put it in Dead by Daylight. Uh, Ratchet and Clank have it. Bloodstained Ritual of the Night has it. And the list goes on. The Konami code has even been referenced in pop culture, like music and television and 
was a plot point in Wreck-It Ralph. It's incredibly strange that a cheat code of all things for a 33-year-old game has become more than just a cheat code. Well, that's pretty much it. That's the Konami code in a nutshell. It's Konami code for Contra. I don't um I don't think this segment of the show will ever get this in depth again, but um I'd be stupid not to finally give it its due during this episode. I don't think the cheat segment will ever be this excessive until I um play my first game that has DK mode in it. is a really nice looking 8-bit game for its age. I kind of prefer, honestly, the way the NES game looks to the arcade version. The arcade game, you know, kind of looks cheap to me. Like perhaps, I don't know, Konami put gameplay first with that iteration, or maybe the playthrough that I watched on YouTube just was uploaded in like, with some like serious fucking compression or something. Either way, the NES version looks really sharp. It's the same kind of quality like you would find in the other Konami games that, that were out at the time. Right down to uh, Lance and Bill actually missing a face. <laughs> so, and of course it would, you know, come out a couple years later, but Red Falcon's Nest, like towards the end of the game, really kind of brought back memories of um, the closing areas of Splatterhouse, which, you know, both of these games were ripping off Ridley Scott anyway. Now, if you are a returning listener, if you've listened for quite a long time, Paul and I covered Mega Man, and I'm mentioning that because Konami essentially took a page out of Capcom's book as far as designing the bosses go in this game. We talked about how Capcom pulled off the Yellow Devil boss fight, and yeah, Konami did essentially the same thing. They essentially just made their bosses part of the background instead of actual sprites, which is essentially kind of why they can come off as detailed as they do and as animated as, as they do. And for me, you know, aside from, again, the bullets, they're so tiny. It's probably one of the reasons why people claim that this game is as difficult as it is, because it's really hard to see those bullets. Other than that, I feel like this game holds up as one of those just classic 8-bit looking games like alongside Mega Man 2 or Mario 3 or even Konami's you know Castlevania in my opinion so I um I failed to mention at the top of the show but at the title screen a short jingle plays when you press start and then there's like a sound of the sound of like an explosion and that's how you know it's time to put your fucking shit kickers on because it's time to kick some shit. <laughs> the music in this game really amps up the gameplay, in my opinion. Because you're constantly moving. If you're not moving, you're going to die. You know, you're turning back and forth. You're hammering on that B button, jumping all over the place. And the music really matches this, this type of action. It's, 
a shame that Hidenori Maezawa hasn't done more in the game industry because I think he really has a great ear for making some really, really good tunes that border like these amazing ballads, but also have like this like really heavy mainline like aggression to it. Essentially, it, it seems like after 1987, the last game he composed for was a Famicom exclusive, which I'm going to completely butcher here called uh, Getsu Fumaden. And then that was basically it until he came out of Mosh retirement to do the soundtrack for Grand Blue Fantasy Versus, which is also like an incredibly well done soundtrack. I um, have no idea what that game is. But when I was researching Maezawa's history, I definitely checked it out. Pretty much it. I'm sure I missed something. I always seem to. But that's what uh, you guys are for, right? Fill in those blanks and yell at me. Until then, would I recommend Contra in 2021? So, like, I'm in uh, I'm in an awkward position. I feel like I would never say that I'm good at games. I'm pretty much right down the middle as far as skill goes. Coming off of Final Fantasy 3, a game that I said was very hard. And it's a different type of difficulty. Because if I gave myself like an extra hour or like hour and a half, I could have finished that game. But that's grinding. There's really no skill required when you play JRPGs, especially those older ones. Contra is very fast paced. It's kind of like a shmup, but instead of like a spaceship or a robot child with milky missile tits. You're just these two natty shirtless bros with a violence fetish. The game really demands that you pay attention and react quickly. And similar to Air Zonk, actually, the more you die, the more uh, you restart, the better you get. Again, I feel like Contra's pretty fair. <laughs> I wouldn't call Contra Nintendo hard. I think that's reserved for games like Ghosts and Goblins or Ninja Gaiden, Battletoads, Zelda 2, <laughs> many others. Granted, I did use the Konami code, which some people <laughs> would turn their noses up at, at which point I'll knock them the fuck out while they're not looking. Sorry, I got a little bit aggressive there. Just must be all this fucking video game violence. Look. If you're going to play Contra, just use the Konami code. I got through it without having to restart from the first stage. I do not think this game is that hard if you use the code. It's also two players. I did not mention that. You can play co-op. So if you have a partner along for the ride, it should be super breezy stuff. The game controls very well. It looks good. The soundtrack slaps particularly the Famicom soundtrack, which you've been listening to. I really, really liked Contra. 
I am very happy I finally got to play it. I'm a little disappointed in myself that I hadn't played it up until this point uh, for the show. I'm sure had I picked it up when I was like six or seven, when we had it, I probably would have found it impossible to play. And the more I think about it, because I feel like I've talked about it for the past two episodes now, I feel like I just need to have a general episode where I just discuss difficulty in video games. Because I just, I did not find this game as hard as people have claimed it is. So, what I recommend it in 2021, I think I'm going to do the same thing I did with Ghosts and Goblins. I'm going to go with a light recommend. Maybe like a little bit higher of a light recommend, like borderline recommend, like just a bit higher than Ghosts and Goblins because this game I just, is just not unfair. Just pay the fuck attention. Ghosts and Goblins, you have no idea when a fucking ghost burrito is going to spawn right on top of you. It just happens. So, yeah, I'm going to give... If I gave Ghosts and Goblins a light recommend, I'm definitely giving Contra a light recommend. You're like, give this game a fucking try. It's a really cool game. So, with all that, all that's left to do is whore myself out here. If you've loved what you've heard, or if you like any of the other stuff that I've already done... Five-star review is always appreciated, but never necessary. It only takes 30 seconds, and one five-star review can help make a difference in a hungry gaming podcaster's life. Every hour of the day, a gaming podcast goes unreviewed. Why not break this cycle and be the change the world needs? <laughs> you can also follow the show on Instagram, that's the main quest. Send comments, ideas, questions to mainquestpod at gmail.com. And finally, you can, there's no real reason to, follow me on Twitter at underscore mainquest. So until next week, with another entry in the Resident Evil series, it's Resident Evil 5. Ugh, it's going to be an awkward one, ladies and gentlemen. Until then. Thank you so much for listening. Take care of yourselves. Talk to you guys later. Cheats! <laughs> I don't know what the fuck. I don't know why I said it like that.
Oh, that's gonna. Ugh. Anyway. 